Thank you for being at Wellspring this morning. I hope that you had a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. Um, This morning, we're really blessed because Lori is going to be um, reviewing the disciplines for us. And that'll be a big encouragement. And then it'll be a little different than normal. We're going to take our break then. So it's an early potty stop. Um, because then Jacob is going to come up and teach us. And for those of you who don't know, Jacob is Lori's son. So that's a really special treat to have a mother and a son doing tag team teaching for us. A um, couple of housekeeping items. Uh, first of all, is just a reminder to, if you're a discussion leader, we'll meet afterwards for time of prayer and being encouraged with the gospel together. And when it's time for discussion groups, if you'll remember, we're discussing the page that was handed out the first time we met in December. Um, You should either have that or your discussion leader should have that for you. And so when Jacob's done, um, just find your discussion leader and then find a place to meet. If you move chairs, you can move out into the hall. Beth's group for sure will go out into the hall. Um, You can find a corner of this room. But wherever you go, put your chair back where you took it from so we can leave the room like we found it Um, and then we'll wrap up at nine and I can't think of any other announcements so Lori come lead us thank you so this is on already Sarah okay thanks Um, we're going to go ahead and start with the disciplines so if you would please turn your binders over to the back side We'll talk about the purpose at the very end. Let's, talk, let's look at discipline one, the heart. It says she prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God, and in particular the gospel. So I'd like you to stop for a moment and think about your life on a day-to-day basis. And I uh, just want to ask you, do you have any ideas? Any idea of how many temptations or challenges or opportunities or tests or trials that you face in a given day? Do you know how many decisions you have to make? Do you even know how many thoughts you have in a given day? My mind is racing all the time. Um, According to the New York Times, the average person has about 55,000 thoughts per day. Don't know how they measured that. Um, that would mean 2,292 thoughts per hour and about 38 thoughts per minute. Ladies, what do you allow to creep into those thoughts? What thoughts do you meditate on as you're falling asleep, as you're driving, getting dressed, putting on your makeup? What about when you encounter a difficult situation or an unpleasant person? So let's look at that term, shepherding your heart. You know, it's helpful for us to imagine a shepherd. We've talked about that before. And what does a shepherd have to do for his flock of sheep? Well, obviously, a big part of it is to lead his flock to food, right? And then to safe pasture. And then at the end of the day, to corral those sheep back into the pen. And if you think about it, that's exactly what we're called to do with those thoughts um, and with our hearts. If you think of your thoughts as sheep, 
then it's easy to conclude that you have the responsibility to lead those thoughts to feast on food that is good for your heart. And when your thoughts are wandering off into dangerous territory, you have the responsibility to call them back. You know, come back, you. Um, You know, we're even called to take every thought captive. And I love watching cop shows. And I love it when they arrest the bad guy. And I thought, you know, you can do that to your thoughts. You can take every thought captive and read them their rights. You have the right to remain silent. And you can do that. You know, another way of shepherding your heart is to think of it as mothering your heart. Now, I take care of, I'm so blessed, we get to take care of our 16-month-old little grandson every week. And his name is Johnny. And so taking care of him really helps paint the word picture so well for me. How would you like it if I just brought Johnny to your door and said, Oh, see you later. You don't need to worry about him. He'll be fine. No way, you would not leave Johnny unattended in your house, believe me. I would never consider leaving him unattended, not even for an instant, because I know him, and I know in an instant he could get into trouble. He could wander from my sight, and he could put himself into harm's way. So let me ask you, why do we think it's okay to do that with our own hearts? Ladies, I implore us not to let our hearts go unattended either. For in an instant, I know that our thoughts could lead us down the path of anxiety, fear, doubt, etc. You know, this is what I like to call stinking thinking. And we women, we are so good at stinking thinking. You know, we have the tendency to compare ourselves to others, to look at other women, and we compare ourselves to them. What do we compare? Everything. We compare our figures, our hairstyle, our looks, our husbands, our children, our income, our homes, our spiritual maturity. Instead of looking to the word of God, in particular the gospel, to see what our true position as believers really is. So shepherding our hearts towards God It will produce, and I love this, a steadfastness of mind. It's like you're on a ship, and focusing on God, on the gospel, it just steadies you. It produces a steadfastness of mind and that attitude of peace um, with who you are as the woman that God made you to be. Now, Isaiah 26.3 states, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. According to David Klotfelter in Sinners in the Hands of a Good God, most of the anxiety, fear, regret, restlessness that we experience in this life could be greatly eased, if not eliminated if we would meditate daily on the truth that God is to us the most tender, attentive, and protective Father who has numbered even the hairs on our head. And that's from Luke 12:7. Ladies, we need to get our eyes off of ourselves and we need to get them onto God. Peter admonishes us in 1 Peter 1:13, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix 
your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, well, how do you fix your hope completely on that grace? How do you do it? Well, ladies, just as you take your daily vitamins, you need to daily take in the word of God so that you can be well equipped to shepherd those 55,000 thoughts that you're bombarded with throughout the day. You know, one thing we can be sure of when we put these two feet on the ground every morning is your day will contain trials, temptations, challenges, and opportunities. And we need to be ready to shepherd our hearts and corral those thoughts into their proper places when those trials, those opportunities, those challenges, those temptations come our way. We're called to prepare our minds for action. And that involves a daily, focused, and very intentional time in his word. John MacArthur explains that the word of God is designed to warn us and protect us. And 2 Timothy 3.16 states that all scripture is inspired by God. All of it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Well, with all that in mind, why wouldn't we want to spend daily quality time reading that inspired word of God. Let's take a look at our friend the shepherd again. Not only does the shepherd feed and guide his flock, but he daily inspects each sheep. Doesn't just go, ah, they look okay. He inspects them for signs of injury, disease, stress, or anything else that needs tending to. He doesn't just take a good guess at how his animals are doing. He takes time to inspect all parts of the animal. Not only that, he vigilantly scrutinizes the sheep's habitat for hidden dangers while making sure the fence around the pen is strong and secure. So let's piggyback that shepherd with the mothering analogy for a minute. For a minute, You know, when you have a toddler around the house, you're wise, right? We all know about baby-proofing our house. You're wise to do that. What about your heart? You can baby-proof your heart, too. You know how foolish it would be for us to let any old thing come into that heart of ours and expose us to danger. But, of course, we wouldn't let blatant sin come into our hearts. We would not go running out into the street after it. Of course not. But, sisters, it's vital to remember that some of the things we let into our hearts aren't so obviously and blatantly dangerous. And that's where the Word of God can help us. Now, my house faces west, and so in the afternoon, the sun shines directly into my living room. And when that sun shines just at the right angle, no matter what I'm doing, I, I see that dust. It exposes that dust and that grime on my furniture. I, went, ah! I say to my husband, ah, we live in a pig pen. And I run and I get the, uh, the pledge and I get the dust cloth. And I'm always so appalled. Thank you, Sarah. My nose is just dripping. Thank you. And I march right over and I grab that pledge and I'm spraying and I'm cleaning because I was not aware. I was perfectly unaware 
that that grime and that dust was there a moment before. But the minute it's revealed, I want to take care of it. Well, that's like the Bible, right? It's like our sunshine. It can directly shine that spotlight of truth into the areas that we need to attend to, areas we need to forsake, confess, or conform into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to allow him full access into our hearts daily. And as he shines the light at just the right angle to reveal our sin, we need to attend to it immediately, take care of it. So let's look at discipline two, the home. It says she ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and for the gospel. Now I know we all have different living situations. Some of us live at home alone. Some have a roommate. Some are married. Some have houses full of children. Some are empty nesters. doesn't matter. Your home, my home, can be known as the place where Jesus Christ lives and he is Lord. How? Well, only after spending time in the word and shepherding your heart to be conformed into the image of Christ will you be in that right place to minister to others. Think for a minute what that word minister means. What does it mean? Well, some synonyms mean attend. I you to think about that. Like put a word picture in your mind as I say it. Look after care for, nurse, wait on, comfort. Did you notice how active and selfless those words are? You know, when I think of those words, I think of a nurse tending a sick patient. But these words also most excellently describe our Savior, who, according to Philippians 2.7, emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, Sisters, Christ humbled himself. He obediently and submissively carried out the will of his Father. Wow. When I think of that, I'm reminded how he took that towel and he wrapped it around himself and he humbly washed his disciples' feet at the Last Supper. Remember that in John 13? Now think about the state of mind that you would need to have if you would want to be that kind of woman. Obviously, our strength is not here, is it? It's not on us. We would fall short in a minute. So where is our heart's focus in all of this? It's not on us. It's all on God. What should be our motivation? Because that's easy to have the wrong motivation. It's not for the praise of men. It's not for anything but for his glory. It's not so people admire us and tell us, oh, you're so kind, oh, how thoughtful you are, oh, you're so hospitable. It's on the gospel being lived out in the lives of those who are in our homes, whether they're here just for a minute or they live there. The elders like to call this making much of Christ. Ladies, only after you've shepherded your heart towards God through the word of God, Will we be able to take on that mindset, you know, to wrap the towel around yourselves and to humbly serve those in our household? When I do it that way, serving my husband, my family members, even those difficult ones, 
and the guests who come into my house, it becomes a privilege and a great joy to me as I get out of the way and I let Christ minister through me to others. What a joy. So now we're going to look at Discipline 3, the ministry. With a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her household, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. So this step, this last step, is also very intentional. And it's a natural outpouring of the Holy Spirit's work through you to be a vehicle of his grace in the lives of other sisters in the Lord. It can only be done with a heart that is prepared and clothed with the gospel armor spoken of in Ephesians 6. So think about it. What does that look like, practically speaking? Well, Sarah told us all about our heart. We know we're vulnerable to defeat. We know we're vulnerable to deceiving ourselves. We are the most excellent of deceivers. So how do we do it? You prayerfully grasp hold of the gospel. You arm yourself with it from head to toe. And only then you are ready to step out into the world and to help others with their own personal walk with Christ. And it could be as simple as just telling somebody about the joy that is in you and the hope that is in you. And it could be as huge as making a commitment to pour yourself, your energy, your time, into another sister's life for a little while. Now, Paul tells Ephesians to be imitators of God as beloved children and to walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, Ephesians 5.1. So the bottom line is this. I can and I must be ready at all times to draw from the wellspring of God's word that I have stored and treasured in my heart. I can also share the gospel truths with anyone that the Lord sees fit to put into my path because he has given me a heart for him and a heart for others. But why should I, in this busy, hectic season of my life, why should I even want to do this? Well, Milton Vincent puts it in a gospel primer. He says, the more I experience the gospel, the more there develops within me a yearning, affection for my fellow Christians who are also participating in the glories of the gospel. This affection for them comes loaded with confidence in their continued spiritual growth, like you're a cheerleader, and their ultimate glorification. And it becomes my pleasure to express to them this loving confidence regarding the ongoing work of God in their lives. Additionally, with the gospel proving itself to be such a boon in my life, I realize that the greatest gift I can give my fellow Christians is the gospel itself. I love my fellow Christians, not simply because of the gospel. I love them best when I am loving them with the gospel. So in conclusion, having spent time reviewing the Wellspring Disciplines, I'd like us to look at the very top of your binder there 
and remind ourselves of why we're here this morning. Let's read it. Let's read The Wellspring Purpose, and let's read it out loud together. Is that all right? The Wellspring Purpose, right here. To equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts towards Jesus Christ with the Word of God so that they live out the gospel, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. Thank you. We are going to take a quick bathroom break now, and we'll be back in 10 minutes. All right. So I think everyone probably knows, but I'm Jacob Hantla. I'm my mom's son. And I am one of the elders at Grace Bible Church, and it's awesome to be here with you this morning. So much better than last year when I came. So for you guys who are here, I was like 27 hours of, sl- of being awake after doing surgery on a guy shot in the head, and Kiki was sick, and last minute I got to come in, and even still it was a joy, but I don't remember any of it. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for having me back. It's so good to be with you. Um, and I think if I had one lesson I could teach, especially in Build or Wellspring, where it's all about we don't want to play leapfrog over our hearts before we go and think about our homes or the church. We want to focus on the heart. It's so important, and, and I think I, I would pick this verse above all. And it, It's the verse that Wellspring, even the name, comes from. It's Proverbs 4.23. So you can open your Bibles there or flip your binder over where you probably have it memorized. It's... The one I have memorized is, guard your hearts with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Okay, so I'm going to start at the top of you. I think you guys probably have notes to follow along with normally. I, I have notes printed out for you. You can just follow along with me. I'll sort of try to give you points if I remember as to where we are. The setup's really easy. It's a really easy verse. I'm just going to go backwards through it. But before we start... I'd love to read a quote uh, from Charles Bridges that sets the, the importance of guarding our hearts in context. He says, If the citadel be taken, the whole town must surrender. If the heart be seized, the whole man, the affections, desires, motives, pursuits, all will be yielded up. The heart the citadel of man, the seat of his dearest treasure. It's fearful to think of its many watchful and subtle assailants. Let it be closely garrisoned. So every week you go to the back of your binders and read the disciplines. So just look down there again. Above all else, guard your hearts. For it's the wellspring of life. So we're going to just spend a whole day looking at those words. We're going to learn from Solomon's inspired words. One incredibly simple, powerful, and absolutely necessary fact. And armed with that fact, you'll understand the importance of the battle for your heart. Hopefully we'll be better equipped to pursue God better equipped to fight sin, better equipped to accomplish the disciplines of Wellspring, to shepherd your heart 
in your home and your church, your ministry. So look back at Proverbs 4.23. So simple. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. So in Proverbs 4.23, it's really easy. There's a what, a why, and a how. Just look down, identify those for yourself right now. Read the verse. See the what, keep your heart, the how, with all vigilance, and the why, because from it flow the springs of life. Okay, what, a why, and a how. So the what. There's a command that Solomon the wise father has for his son. Okay, so we're in, flowing from chapter 3 into chapter 4. It's a, it's a father giving encouragement, advice to a son. And he gets, says, above all else, I want you to do this thing. Keep your heart. Uh, the ESV says, the New King James says, or the NAS says, watch over your heart. The others say, guard your heart. I did, I'm not sure if you guys do this when you study. I'm, we'll come back to Proverbs. I just wanted to talk real quick about how you study the Bible. There's not, probably not many of you know Hebrew or Greek. Uh, maybe you do, but something that's really, really helpful when we're removed by language from the, the originals is, is while you're reading, maybe take a few different versions, especially when you study. Take a few of the literal versions in particular. My, my favorites are ESV, NAS and Holman Christian. You can throw in uh, Net, the Net Bible or the New King James. Those all come from different families, so they're based on different translation structures, all trying to be as faithful as possible to the original. But you'll see in a lot of verses that they say things differently. In a lot of verses they say them exactly the same, in which case you can just say, well, that must be pretty much exactly the English reflects the original pretty well. But if we want to really understand what the original authors meant when they wrote in their original language, the best way would be go learn Hebrew and Greek. But until you can do that, or maybe you won't in this life, um, we're blessed in English to have so many tools. And one of the best is just multiple English versions. So when you read, if you, what I, I do is, is anytime I'm studying a passage, I print out multiple translations and I look on every verse for where they're different and where they're the same. And where they're different, that might mean, oh, my English isn't getting exactly what maybe the Hebrew or exactly what the Greek meant. So that would be, and it also just helps you know. The more you observe a text, the more you look and you look at every word and you think through every word the more it can drive down into your heart. And you'll find yourself after doing that just accidentally memorizing verses. So, it's totally aside from Proverbs. I would, you see what, where I wrote all the different versions there. Just think through every word while you study and look at the different, the different ways that the English translates it. And if it's really different, it might be helpful to consult a commentary or at least try to figure out why is it a little different there. Does that make sense? Feel free, please, at any time today. I don't want to lecture. Just raise your hand and say, Jake, that made no sense. I have a tendency to do that. Okay, so, and I can ramble sometimes. So just raise your hand and say, Jake, you're rambling. Just, yes. What do you think about even like, I 
I know not what a literal translation, but New Living just kind of, you know, not much study. Yeah. No, those are those are not bad. Like so, if, if you have new NIV is sort of the least of those, where they're called dynamic equivalents, where they try to help you understand what they meant, but they they're okay with smoothing over the reading. Yeah. And the New Living, even more than the message, is all the way on the other side, where they don't even care what the original words were. Uh, Eugene Peterson just wanted to sort of make it. He studied it. Say, I understand this passage now. Let me say it the way I would have said it. All of those, those can be helpful. You just have to, I'd say you want to know those, those are going to, those dynamic equivalents or those types of readings are, are going to not be really focused on giving you word for word for word. You might, there'll be lots of periods where there aren't periods. You might miss the therefores, the transition words, which can be really, really important. But at the same time, that it can be helpful to, to hear it another way. And even have somebody who has studied it try to, to help you understand what it means. I, I view the more loose it becomes, I view it more like a commentary than a Bible. Does that make sense? It's more like somebody saying, this is what it means rather than this is what it says. So those can certainly be helpful. You just want to know what you have. Sometimes the, my favorite Bibles are, are the ones geared really for kids. Um, because they've done a lot of hard work. The authors have done a lot of hard work digesting. Or what I try to do now with Eliana, and it's really hard but really good, is when I'm studying a passage, try to write my own translation that Eliana would understand. Which, it's at that point, not so much a translation, but more a, a digesting and a, a presentation of it. If you can do that with a text, you probably really understand it. So, and all those are really helpful tools. Um, if you have any any questions about how to get those or how I do that or, or any suggestions, I'd love to help. And anyway, so back to Proverbs 4.23. There's a what. Um, the what is Solomon says to his son under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, keep, watch, guard, your heart. And then there's a how. How how is the son supposed to do this? With all vigilance, above all else, with all diligence. And why? Why is the son to guard his heart? Because from it flows the springs of life. It's the source of life. It's the wellspring of life. So that's pretty much the outline for for today. Um, Proverbs 4.23 is really easy to understand. What, how, why? You probably have it memorized already. Um, even if you didn't before, I've said it enough times, you probably know it. You don't need to look down. Um, but I would recommend as we go, you tie everything you're hearing into Scripture. I, another aside... Something that's really helpful for me is anytime you hear anything that somebody says, you'll find me during church all the time flipping through my Bible. Maybe it's a good practice, maybe not. But everything I hear, it reminds me of other places in the Bible. Try to get in the practice of anytime you hear something, any assertion, any statement, it's in your mind, in the back of your mind, but get in the habit of, is that from Scripture or is it not? And not just, is it biblical? Why is it biblical? Be able to quickly, just over your life, just build up a database of 
uh, said something about anxiety, where do you where do you go? Oh, okay, uh, Philippians four six and seven, First Peter five six and seven. You just run through. Okay. Does that make sense? So if, if a guy says something, if I say something about Proverbs, look down. Is that really what it says? And try to tie my thought, my words to to the text, and see the degree to which my words come from the text, and where this might just be the opinion of Jacob. That's a really good practice when you hear teaching. Um, anyway, back to back to Proverbs. I'm gonna I'll try to try to stay closer to this. Um, so it's really easy. I recommend you commit it to memory if you haven't already. Guard your heart the what, with all vigilance, the how, for from it flow the springs of life, the why. Okay, so we're going to go backwards through the verse, starting with the why, then the how, then the what. What's the why? For from it flows the springs of life, the heart is the well from which all other behaviors spring. Okay, the heart is the well from which all other behaviors spring. Have you ever sinned and thought, um, where did that come from? I have uh, exploding at your roommates, a short temper with your husband, anger at your children, entertaining sinful fantasies, laziness, um, lying, gossip, stuff where you're like, I wasn't even thinking about that, and boom, where did, where did that sin come from? Uh, Proverbs 4.23 is going to help us get at the root of these sins, and best of all, prepare us for the gospel solution to the heart of the problem. The inspired Solomon gives a profound illustration Profoundly simple illustration for your life. You can think of everything you do, everything you think, everything you say, all of this as flowing water. Okay, All of this has a common source, the wellspring of your life. So think of, think of every action you did today or every action you did yesterday. From every good deed to every sinful, sinful thought, every explosion of anger to every act of kindness. All of that was in this illustration is like flowing water, and it came from a common source. And that the heart. This might sound pretty simple, and it is, but the simple truth has really profound consequences. It reveals the relationship between our heart and our actions. Okay. There is no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. You can just let me know where we are. I'm sorry, we're right here under the Y. I would write that down. There is no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Or you could say, everything about the way that you live flows from your heart. I said, there's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Or put another way, there is no part of your life that your heart does not affect. All of life flows from this heart. Everything you do. The image is of a city's vital water source. Pure water at the source, 
can provide everyone in the city with pure water. But if the source is contaminated, there's no hope for pure water. Okay, this is a problem because the Bible describes our heart, our life source, in some pretty unflattering terms. Okay, I know you guys have already looked at these verses in Wellsprings before, but we need to look at them again. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Okay, that Solomon says under the inspiration of God that everything in your life flows from your heart. Jeremiah says the heart is pretty much hopeless. Um, Consider that God saw the wickedness in man's heart and was moved to kill everyone but Noah and his family. I think that's on the back. Page one. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And look at this. Every intention of his heart was only evil continually. And this was our bedtime story last night with Eliana. The flood didn't fix the problem. That was our point. You look back at this. Every intention of his heart was only evil continually. And the flood didn't fix it. That description of man's heart is still just as true today. Okay? So there's no part of your life that does not flow from this wellspring. And this wellspring is deceitful, desperately sick, and only evil continually. So if you combine those two, Proverbs 4.23 and Genesis 6.5, what would you expect from a woman or a man with with this wellspring? A poisoned well only produces poisoned water. A wicked, unrighteous heart produces wicked, unrighteous actions. So Proverbs 4.23 plus Genesis 6.5 equals Romans 3.10. Okay, so Romans 3.10.12, quoting Psalm 14.1-3 says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands and no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together, they, or we, have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. And now we know why. No one naturally has a good heart, and no one, no, not one, does good before God. Okay? We are a bunch of wicked people with unrighteous lives because we have wicked hearts or have wicked hearts. Because remember, God doesn't leave the Christian in this situation. Okay. Speaking of the new covenant with Israel that Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well, God says in Ezekiel 36, 26,
Ezekiel 36.26, speaking to Israel about the new covenant that Christians get to enjoy. I will put, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll remove the hard heart that doesn't work and give you a, a new soft heart that works the way that it was supposed to before the fall. Uh, in, in my job, I get to deal with hearts all the time um, in anesthesia. And I'll, I'll tell you what, when when you go into, when you have a heart attack, a really bad one, your heart actually becomes like stone. It's really rigid. You can't get any any blood in, and it doesn't squeeze well. No blood comes out. And one of the, the most effective solution for that truly is a heart transplant. And it's or we, we have a lot of other, other techniques, but it's amazing to watch a heart that's hard as stone and how ineffective it is and how quickly it kills a person. So this is a vivid illustration for me and uh, an accurate one when I think of where my heart was and where it is now. Don't, don't ever forget that. It's, it's helpful to remember what God's done, where our hearts were, it helps us prize, I'll, I'll get there, it helps us prize the new heart that we've been given. And it should motivate us to really guard this new heart. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, let's go back to Ezekiel. God says, and I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God promised Israel that he will someday give them a heart transplant. That would be their only hope for cleaning. This hasn't yet happened for Israel, but it is what God does when he saved us. You had an old dead heart of stone, and God gave you a new heart of flesh. Christian, this is what God did for you at salvation. Took out your old dead one, your old dead heart, replaced it with a new one. You were born again, John 3.3. 3. You're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And God's given you a new heart. We used to be slaves to sin because our heart was sinful. We used to be disobedient from the heart. But Romans 6.17 tells us what God has done. Go, go there. Romans 6.17. This is sweet. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. So John, John Flavel, this is the quote on your page. Uh, he, he said, he was a 17th century Puritan. He wrote in the 1600s. He actually has a book called Keeping the Heart. The original title is something ridiculous. It's like a paragraph long, because that's how Puritans used to title their books. It is online. 
for free, and Kiki was so nice. My Christmas present this year is the complete works of John Flavel and Lagos. He's one of my favorite authors ever. But um, John Flavel wrote, and he said it well, The heart of man is his worst part before salvation, and it is his best part after it. The heart of man is his worst part before salvation, and it is his best part after it. Praise and thank God for that. Proverbs 4.23 told us that the heart is the wellspring of our lives, and that would be horrible news if it were not for this great news, the gospel. That when God saves us, he not only forgives us our sins, he changes our hearts. And let everything else you learn today, everything you resolve to do today, sit under the shadow of the massive truth of the gospel. Okay. Apart from that, when you hear this command to guard your hearts with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life, apart from God's work in the gospel, this could be motivation to self-improvement, behavior modification, and you'd miss the whole point of the verse. Right? You're like, oh, I need to guard guard my heart really well. And we'll set up all these to-dos, all these systems that, that don't actually, can't deal with the heart. But thanks be to God, he's already dealt with our heart. So we don't have to change it. That work's been done. We guard what's already been changed. Okay? And that's key. And that has to be how we always fight sin. In your small groups, when you're confessing sin to one another... Remind each other of this massive truth. It's right. It's right to change when you're repenting of sin. And it might be right to even set up structure in your life to help you avoid patterns of sin. But never apart from remembering what God's already done to change your heart and always with the thought that I'm I'm not changing anything here. I'm, I'm only keeping what God's already changed. And not only has he already changed it, but he gives you the power to maintain it. Apart from him, we'd have no desire to love him. We'd have no, we wouldn't have this new heart and we would never have the ability to maintain life in this new heart. Okay, so if God has not changed you from the heart and if you're not a Christian but are just here doing religious things, and that, that could be you. That could be me. Paul was wise in Second Corinthians to say, um, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Because don't you know you'll pass the test if Jesus is in you? It should never be a scary thing for us to say, am I just here doing religious things? Am I just here because it makes me feel better about myself? It, it shouldn't. We shouldn't be. Examine yourself because... You, You'll pass the test if Jesus is in you. And praise be to God for that. Okay, but if you're just here doing religious things, know for sure that your religious efforts are futile. Okay, because they're not for God's glory. They flow from a wicked heart and are evil in God's eyes. The problem comes from the heart. The solution must deal with the heart. Puritan pastor Richard Baxter who is also amazing. I recommend you read anything he wrote. Um, Wisely advised 
his church till the spirit has regenerated the soul all outward religion will be but a dead and pitiful thing to make up a religion of doing or saying something that is good while the heart is void of the spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace is the hypocrite's religion Okay, so to pretend that you're holy through religious exercise and hard work while your evil heart remains unchanged is the religion of Pharisees, that God will be glorified to judge and whose practitioners will spend eternity under God's righteous wrath for. Okay. Another way to think about it, at least Fitzpatrick says it like this in her parenting book, Give Them Grace. She says, how is your parenting different than a Mormon's? I'd say, how, how is your guarding your heart different than a Mormon's or a Muslim's? Or throw in any, any religious or any just Pharisaic religion, religious person. The difference must be the gospel. Recognize what God has done. Seek to keep your heart through God's continuing work in the gospel. Okay, this is, it must be different than just positive self-talk and resolution to do better. Okay, God's done a miracle to give us a new heart to keep. Okay, but praise be to God, he has no interest in religion. Through the gospel, by Jesus' work at the cross, God gives us new hearts. Romans 6.17 But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. Your heart, therefore, is precious. Not only because it is the source from which all your life flows, but it's precious because it was made new through the gospel. You were a slave to sin because your heart was sinful. Now you are a slave to righteousness. Imagine a city with a poisoned well. The city could not flourish. In fact, the city would be full of death. Then one day, the king filled that old poisonous well and he dug another one, one that was pure. Immediately, the city was full of life. Those who were made weak and anemic and dying from the poison had a taste of that that they never knew before, pure water. Those people would know the importance of guarding that wellspring. They would know the effects of a tainted well, and they would know the joy of purity. They would never have a thought of how much poison can we let back in that well. They would think, we must guard this well with all diligence. We appreciate it. It has given us new life. Those people would know the importance of a pure water source. Christian, we are those people. So in light of this illustration, consider this quote from Charles Spurgeon, who I also recommend you read lots of. The poison of the soul is only sin. And this is like to poison in many respects. Poison, wherever it enters, 
stays not there, but diffuses itself all over the body, and it never ceases until it is infected all. Such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will, creeps from one member of the body to another, and from the body to the soul, till it has infected the whole man, and then from man to man, till the whole family, and stays not there, but runs like wildfire from family to family, till it has poisoned a whole town, and so a whole country, and a whole kingdom. Woeful experience proves this true. Did you see them while I was reading? The wellspring disciplines? The heart, home, ministry? Through guarding your heart, you're not saying, I'm going to guard my heart today, and then later I'm going to get to my home, and then later my ministry. If you don't guard your heart, you are shepherding your your home and your ministry poorly. And by guarding your heart, you'll keep out that infectious poison that will, will run rampant through your your own body and we know that sin brings death and then to your home and then the whole church what poison are you dabbling with think about it what poison are you dabbling with Christian, we're that town that has used to have a, a poisonous well. Our king dug a new one, giving us life, took out our old hard heart, gave us a new soft one. Remember purity and long for it. Don't stop at anything to guard your well for the sake of your life, your home, and the church. Guard your heart with all vigilance because from it flow the springs of life. Okay, so the truth that the heart is... Look back at Proverbs. The the truth that the heart is the wellspring of life leads very naturally to to Solomon's next command. It's the what at the beginning. Guard your heart. And we've already been there, but now we're going to focus. We've, we've just talked about the how with all of it. Or, yeah, no, the why. We just talked about the why the, because it's the wellspring of life. Now we're going to talk about the what. Guard your heart. Sin is the poison. Purity is to be protected. So guard your heart. Okay? So ESV renders the command, keep your heart. The NAS says, watch over your heart. The Holman Christian and NIV say, guard your heart. Keep, watch, guard. It's an imperative. It's a command. This isn't optional, and it is something active. Okay, so we have new hearts. They're given to us by God, and in light of that, we have a command. Guard. We have a new heart, but the flesh within, Satan and temptations without, are constantly assaulting the heart, seeking to taint it with sin. So set up guard around your heart. Okay, I'm not talking about guarding your heart like you might put up a chain link fence and maybe some security cameras and you go about your life and let those things do their work. 
Okay, that's, that's not what's in mind here. Um, that's what you do for sort of important things. But we're talking about the most important thing. It's your heart. It's the wellspring of your life. And as Spurgeon said, let the chief fortress surrender to the enemy and the occupation of the rest is an easy task. Let the principal stronghold be possessed by evil and the whole land must be overrun thereby. So open your Bibles to uh, Psalm 119, verse 9, while I give another illustration. Psalm 119, verse 9. So do you know what the United States does for its most important assets? Let me give you an example. NORAD. It's the North American Aerospace Defense Command. It's placed deep within Cheyenne Mountain, surrounded on every side by at least 2,000 feet of granite. It's enclosed by thick doors, blast valves, and its own multi-million gallon water supply with a multitude of sensors on all sides, assessing for any and every threat to its own security. It could survive a near direct hit with a nuclear bomb. This is the kind of guarding God's word is exhorting us to. Okay, that's active. It's not chain link fence and setting up routines and patterns. This is active guarding. This is a modern day equivalent to the walls and constant presence of alert centuries that Solomon probably had in mind. How do you guard your heart? Okay, David, in essence, asked this same question in Psalm 119, verse 9. Read with me. How can a young man keep his way pure? How, how do you do this? How do you keep your way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. How did David guard his heart? He guarded it with God's word. David guarded his heart by seeking God through his word. That's discipline one, right? Shepherd your heart to the word of God to get the God of the word. And as you guard your heart, you'll be protecting it from evil. No poison allowed in this well. Uh, You'll keep it from not wandering from God's commandments. But you'll also be careful who and what you allow close. You'll be careful to fight temptation, to not think that your heart can tolerate just a little bit of evil. Um, But more importantly, and more fundamental, it's not keeping out bad, but it's what you keep in. Right? Seek God with all your heart. Do you see echoes in this verse of Discipline 1 in Wellspring? I want, whenever you think of Discipline 1 in Wellspring, don't let Psalm 119 verse 9 be far from your mind. Okay, because if we let our hearts wander, it's easy to become sort of pharisaical. It's easy to become religious. 
and I hear, guard my heart, and I just think, uh, don't watch really bad movies, don't think those thoughts, um, say please and thank you. I, I, I don't know what I come up with, but it's ridiculous and it falls far short of righteousness, and it certainly doesn't seek God at the core. But thanks be to God, that's what our new heart, that's what, that's what we desire as new creatures. And that's what heaven's all about. If you haven't read it, I know I'm giving you guys a lot of stuff to read, but if you haven't read it, I really recommend you pick up from the book table God is the Gospel by John Piper. It's The, the whole point of the book is if you could go to heaven and you get all the joys, uh, no pain, you get to be with your family, good food forever, um, you don't die, but God wasn't there. Would you want it? That's what a godless religion wants, is a heaven with pearly gates and nothing but nothing no pain, nothing but joy. But God is far from our hearts. Okay? Don't let your guarding of your heart be like that either. When you guard your heart, you keep the evil out. No poison in this well. Because it's pure. What's my well filled with? God. What do you want more than anything? Not a good life and obedient children and happy retirement. I, I want God more than anything else. And where do you get God? Uh, in His Word. Okay, that's why it's so important to not move far from it. Not move far from the Bible. Be there every day. I forget if I'm not in God's Word every day throughout the day. It's easy for me to become captivated by the things of the world. I'm not supposed to love those. And um, James said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. I don't want anything competing for the primacy and superiority of God in my affections. So when you guard your heart, guard it not only from sin, but to God. So how must we do this? It's the last part of Proverbs 4.23. So the why and the what, now the how. Above all else, with all diligence and vigilance. I mean, at this point, we've already looked at those other two. This should sort of go without saying when you recognize the importance of your heart and why we're doing it. Uh, how else would you guard your heart except for with all vigilance and all diligence but do you ever see the guarding of your heart as just one task among many I have to fold the laundry make dinner, pick up the kids and somewhere in there guard my heart no above all else, in all else guard your heart because from it and the way you do all those other things all that will come from your heart because from your heart is the flow of the springs of life. Okay, so when the Bible commands us to do something above all else and with all vigilance, we should probably listen. And that's why we call this Wellspring. That's why we want on the tongues of everybody in our church, in all of our small groups, in all these meetings, in church on Sunday and as you sleep, oh, guard my heart. Guard my heart. Guard my heart. 
before you ever think about your family, before and as you think about your family, guard my heart from sin to God. As I think about ministry, I'm going to be going to small group. Guard my heart from sin to God. He's given me a new heart. This is the gospel that did this. Praise God. I'm in that. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I knew nothing but a tainted well, a well full of poison. And now I know the pure and living water of God. I long for that. This isn't a suggestion. And this isn't something that would be good to do in addition to all the other good things that we do. It is the most important thing to do. It must be done with more energy than you do anything else in life. In his book, I Kiss Stating Goodbye, Joshua Harris relays a story that he heard that illustrates what happens when we don't realize the importance of constantly guarding the well. I'll just read it. An elderly, quiet forest dweller once lived high, among, high above an Austrian village along the eastern slopes of the Alps. Many years ago, the town council hired this old gentleman as a keeper of the spring to maintain the purity of the pools of water and the mountain crevices. The overflow from these pools ran down the mountainside and fed the lovely spring that flowed through the town. With faithful, silent regularity, the keeper of the spring patrolled the hills, removed the leaves from the branches from the, and branches from the pools, and wiped away the silt that otherwise would choke and contaminate the fresh flow of water. By and by, the village became a popular attraction for, for vacationers. Graceful swans floated along the crystal-clear spring, Mill wheels of various businesses located near the water turned day and night, and farmlands were naturally irrigated, and the view from restaurants sparkled. Years passed. One evening, the town council met for its semi-annual meeting. As the council members reviewed the budget, one man's eye caught the salary paid the obscure keeper of the spring. Who is this old man? He asked indignantly, why do we keep paying him year after year? No one ever sees him. For all we know, this man does us no good. He isn't necessary any longer. So by unanimous vote, the council dispensed with the old man's services. And for several weeks, nothing changed. We might think that we can skip this for a day. Um, might take for granted the work that God's done. Let me get back to the story. For several weeks, nothing changed. But by early autumn, the trees began to shed their leaves. Small branches snapped off and fell into the pools, hindering the rushing flow of sparkling water. One afternoon, someone noticed a yellowish-brown tint to the water in the spring. A few days later, the water had darkened even more, and within a week, a slimy film covered sections of the water along the banks, and a foul odor emanated from the spring. The mill wheels moved slowly, some, some finally ground to a halt. Businesses that were located near the water closed, and the swans migrated to fresher waters far away. Tourists no longer visited the town. Eventually, the clammy fingers of disease and sickness reached deep into the village. 
The short-sighted town council had enjoyed the beauty of the spring, but underestimated the importance of guarding its source. We can make the same mistake in our own lives. Like the keeper of the spring who maintains the purity of the water, you and I, through God's grace, are keepers of our own hearts. We need to consistently evaluate the purity of our hearts in prayer, asking God to reveal the sins that contaminate us. And as God reveals our wrong attitudes, longings, and desires, we must remove them from our hearts, turn from them, and repent of them. Okay, God's given you a new heart. He's given you the Holy Spirit. And he commands you and enables you to guard your heart. And we must do this above all else. No days off. No higher priorities. And this is a lifelong faithful process. So the question I have for you and for myself is how well have you been guarding your heart? Just like a city might monitor its water supply for evidence of poison, so we too should evaluate what is flowing from our wellspring to see how the source is. This is why in Wellspring we give homework that helps you evaluate your heart. Maybe you haven't been guarding your heart. Today's the day to start. Guarding your heart is your most important priority. All right, so for your homework this week, you're going to read some questions and evaluate your guarding of your heart. And as you consider each one of these questions, you might come up with some more better ones than I could have. Recognize that what you're seeing is evidence of what is in your heart. We are considering our hearts in the shadow of the cross where Jesus died to give us new hearts and reconcile us to him. Okay, so when you see something here, the problem isn't first and most the fruit, but it's it's the root, it's the heart. Okay, if you turned on your faucet and you saw brown water come out, you don't want to change your faucet. Okay, so we need to remember that. Every time we're con- we realize sin and we're confessing it, where did that come from? Okay, so uh, C.J. Mahaney says, we study our hearts in the shadow of the cross as a means of protecting our hearts from the daily presence and opposition of sin. If you don't watch, you will inevitably weaken. Okay, so I'll read a few questions from the homework now. You don't have to look at them. Just, just consider your own heart as I, as I read these. Do you sense a presence or absence of affections for God? How do your prayers reflect, reflect the vigilance with which you guard your heart? What lures your heart away from God? Consider what you did in your free time last week. Why did you do that? What was the effect of this on your heart? 
These are not meant to bring guilt. Where there's evidence of God's grace, that's what it is. It's evidence of God's grace and giving us a new heart. Okay, so apart from him, these would all have self-centered, selfish answers where it was, my thoughts were not on God. It was all about me. And, and to the degree that that's where, that's what you see, we repent in the shadow of the cross, cling to God's grace, and go to him and his word, fleeing from sin, going to God to deal with the, the source. Right? But, but to the degree that you say, well, I'm not like I would have answered before I was a Christian. Uh, that's not praise you. That's praise God. And mean it when you say it. Praise God. He took out our old hearts of stone, gave us new hearts of flesh. He took out the old poisonous well and gave us a new one. Okay, so remember that as you, as you ask these questions. Does your daily routine reflect that you're guarding your hearts above all else? What about your entertainment? Do your entertainment choices and use of free time, or maybe when you choose to even use entertainment and how much free time you have, reflect that you are guarding your heart above all else? What about the way that you have your quiet time? When when you does everyone in Wellspring is it read through the Bible in a year plan? Just are you aware when you sit down that you're not just checking boxes or getting through your reading? But this is this is guard my heart time. No no sin, no no poison in this well. I want God in. Make your prayer. God, I want you. God, there's no merit as I open up your word today. There's no merit in this. And beg God to fill your well with him. That sin would become all that less attractive and he would be all that much more. Schedule your life. Schedule when you get in your word. How you get in the word. How many times you get in the Word, what you read, when you read, all of your life. Remember, this is above all else. And now we understand why. Schedule your life. Orient your life for this aim to guard your heart above all else because from it flow the springs of life. Okay, so what we've studied today shows that in our battle against these sins, we must go to the root. Apart from the grace of God, we are helpless to work at the heart level. But by God's grace, in the shadow of the cross, we diligently shepherd our hearts to God away from sin. What we must not do when we see sin is to play leapfrog over our hearts. Guarding our heart is not behavior modification. Remember what Jesus said when he was talking about the scribes and the Pharisees? He said, you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Water flowing from a poison-filled well through nicely polished pipes into a fancy cup is still poisonous. So don't clean the pipes. Guard the wellspring. Paul Tripp writes, if my heart 
is the source of my sin problem, then lasting change must always travel through the pathway of my heart. It is not enough to alter my behavior or to change my circumstances. Christ transforms people by radically changing their hearts. If the heart doesn't change, the person's word and behavior may change temporarily because of an external pressure or incentive, i.e. the pain of discipline. But when pressure or incentive is removed, the changes will disappear. He's saying that you can never get your behavior right until you first get your heart right before God. We can't have the we can have the right behavior yet miss the miss the mark by failing to have the right heart. Okay, we must pursue a right heart. Scripture sternly cautions us to enforce all diligence over our heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And on his blog, C.J. Mahaney reminds us, I'm almost done. We must study our hearts. We must monitor the condition of our hearts. We must work by the grace of God to employ the spiritual disciplines to keep our hearts with all vigilance. And ultimately, we must look outward and upward, surveying the wondrous cross and the Savior who died there for us. The Father's wrath against all our sins has been satisfied. We must never lose sight of Calvary. And the spiritual disciplines help us daily focus our gaze on the Savior, out of love for the Savior, and for the protection of our most valuable treasure. Praise God. So we're going to break up, go to your Wellspring groups. Thank you guys so much for having me.